Good morning, everybody. Let there be light. <laughs> I, I've been told I can't speak until the light comes on, so that's you know, just how it goes. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so great to be with you once again. I know it's fall. I know that, you know, everybody's adjusting to the new uh, season, but... Um, this is usually a time of the year that I kind of like get the doldrums, you know. I, just, I don't like what's coming, you know, but uh, I don't know. Today I'm kind of fired up about it. I think the church is doing well. I was telling this, some of the staff today that I'm so encouraged by what the Lord's doing here. And it's been really fun watching God go. So I'm a little excited. Um, I want to address something today that's going on around the world. You know, uh, Israel and all the things that are going on over there with the Arab nations and such. And uh, a lot of questions out there today. Well, how we should react? What should we do? What do we need to do? How, how, how do Christians respond to the, the attacks in both ways, the war, you know? And um, I'll just say this. Isaiah did something uh, pretty amazing thousands of years ago. Uh, Israel was in a similar thing. They were in bondage and they were being delivered out. And uh, God tells is, uh, Isaiah to uh, really cry out and tell him this thing. So I really want to go over that with you a little bit. And I think uh, we can use it uh, to go forward as well. Because if you know anything about Bible prophecy, there are prophecies sometimes within a prophecy that have already been fulfilled, and there are some that are yet to be fulfilled. And this is a fun one. Uh, so let's read it together if we could. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 1. Just read you a couple of verses. Um, this is God telling um, Isaiah what to do. He says, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double all her sins. That's talking about their bondage. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So what is really interesting in here, he's saying comfort them. They are being delivered out of bondage. God had them in bondage because of their disobedience. And they're being delivered because the payment has been made. But then he gives us... Um, prophecy about making the, the, the way straight of the Lord. And if you've been around your Bible at all, you know that when John the Baptist came, this is what he did. He made straight uh, the way of the Lord by preaching the kingdom of God in repentance, right, towards God. Which is interesting about this is that God comes again in the form of Jesus Christ one more time. And so not only is this a prophecy that's kind of been fulfilled in the sense that we're to make our paths straight and when Jesus come and he came, but when he comes a second time, we are taught through this prophecy to also make his way straight. 
And that's what it means when it talks about the hills will be leveled out and the, the valleys will be brought up. What he's talking about is people there. And what will all be on one playing field when, when Jesus comes back the next time. We're either going to be subject to his everlasting wrath or we're going to be subject to his everlasting life. And so I think in regards to Israel, that's how we should pray. We should pray that God comforts them by knowing that he has not forgotten them, that by knowing that he, he loves them, it's, it's who he chose to bring Jesus through the bloodline of the Israelites. So God is there for them, so they should know that comfort. But if they have not yet themselves um, being Jewish people and not yet come to the Lord and seen Jesus as Messiah, that this is also a, a warning flag for them. And so we should be praying, whether they're Jewish, whether they're Hindu or Christian or everything in between, that people come to know Jesus. Because it's through him that true peace will come. And we know that when he comes. So um, I hope that helps you kind of understand at least my heart in this thing and how I've been praying is that, um, you know, we can pray for more bombs, less bombs, uh, coalitions between countries. There's a lot of things that are out there. But at its core, we need to be looking that er God's trying to get all of our attentions. And I believe he's done that through this uh, short little war. I hope it's short. Could this be what the Bible talks about the later days? It probably is. We talked about this in our Thursday night class a little bit about birth pains. The scriptures tell us that like a mother giving birth, you know that the birth is almost here because you have a pain and then it kind of goes away and you have another one that gets stronger. And that's the way that Jesus' second return uh, or his return is kind of described in the Bible. So this could be one of those. But as we engage in this morning, I didn't want to not go over that without praying for our brothers and sisters in that area of the world, but also that many would come to know Jesus because of this. Of course, for sure. Yeah, we, that's what I meant by no matter if you're Jewish and uh, you're Messianic Jew, you're Gentile, you're Christian, non-Christian, we want to be praying for all of that. There's a lot of stuff to be praying for. But my heart is that everybody comes to know Jesus and we know that that is Jesus' heart too because he says that his will is that none should perish. So let's go to the Lord right now and pray. Lord, we thank you that um, you're sovereign over even the crazy stuff that we see in our world. Lord, we're glad that you give us comfort through your scriptures, and I pray that today as we are guided by your Holy Spirit that um, we are given comfort. We do pray for our brothers and sisters um, on the other side of the world, and Israel and on the Gaza Strip and so many different people involved and so many innocent ones in the process. Lord, I pray that you use this for a way to bring glory to yourself. I'm sure you're doing that, that this causes so many of us to look up from our daily routines and really ask, um, 
some real serious questions about eternal life. So Lord, we just, um, we just thank you that you're there. We thank you for grace. We thank you for mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're in this series, right, church community. Uh, I've been enjoying this one. It's been fun. It's really kind of cool because our Thursdays have um, really kind of overlapped in that in real kind of ways, and it's been fun uh, sharing these things with you. Uh, today's uh, subject is really about a church community that serves others. Uh, that should be like, kind of like uh, a no-brainer for us as church. Uh, that is what we are called to do, but it, it isn't really always the case. Uh, God pre has presents or does present many opportunities for us to serve. I mean, you don't really have to look hard to find a place that somebody could use your help, right? So over the years, Tamla and I have been really blessed to be part of many opportunities to uh, serve others, and, it's been, and I'm sure you have too. Um, but if you're like us, it seems like before, or at least a few instances like this, uh, becomes a Clint Eastwood movie before we're done. And it's like the good, the bad, and the ugly. Doesn't it get that way when we try to serve people, the good, the bad, and the ugly? There seems to be always that in serving others. The good comes when... You know, when it feels good to take care of people, doesn't it? You know, just there's something about it that kind of charges you up and makes you feel good about it. Um, it's satisfying to use our time and our talents and our gifts that God has given us for someone else other than ourselves. And there's something really cool about that. And then there's the bad, uh, that we only have so much time and we only have so many resources and so much energy and, you know, sometimes that's bad, and it, it just, the needs are great, and there seems to be no end to it, the needs, you know, and it's just like it never stops. It isn't like, okay, I took care of this family this week, and okay, whew, okay, the, 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 the village of Holly is good for a year now. <laughs> uh, it's not so, right? It's just like there's another one right behind it. And then there's the ugly, when people don't really seem to appreciate what you're doing. And not that, you know, we're really, that's what we're looking for, but we're human. And when you engage in serving others, that seems to be what happens sooner or later. The, some just seem to take advantage of the system and you feel kind of slighted by it and almost gets tiring after a while. And you just don't want to do it. Maybe some of you have been there. Maybe you're, that's where you're at right now. You just give up. I, this is, ugh. It's just... The good, the bad, and the ugly when we serve people. So, why serve at all? Why, why even get involved with other people? Why get involved at all? Let's go to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to start right in verse 1. We're going to go through a couple verses there. This is Paul speaking uh, to the Romans, uh, Gentile population that has been converted. Um, so this is his advice to them. He says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
Paul is telling us, or the Romans and us today, that the reasons why we serve. The reason, when we reason, we think through things, right? We, we, we kind of talked about this in regards to faith last week. We look at the facts, and then we reason with ourselves whether this is something we should get engaged in or not engaged in. Make sense? So Paul's telling us to rationalize what our motive is in service to others. Paul's looking at the, really is, he's trying to help us answer this question, why do we serve others? First, Paul appeals to the brethren. He says, I beseech you. He's not begging them in a sense, but he is strongly encouraging them that this is what they should do. He says, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, he says, brethren, they should understand the term by the mercies of God. God has shown great mercy uh, to you and I. And remember what mercy is, you know, the idea of holding back something that we deserve. That's mercy, right? Uh, so God has shown great mercy uh, to us as believers because we're not going to get what we deserve because of our faith and our trust in Jesus who got what we deserved, right? When he died there that day on the cross. So they knew this term by the mercies of God and uh, for th therefore, we can, they could reason, the most reasonable thing we should do is to live for him based on what he's done for us. And we live for him by presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, uh, if you know anything about the sacrifices of the Old Testament, they would bring a sacrifice because of sin in most cases. They would bring this thing to the priest, the altar. They would kill this. They would shed the blood of that animal. A once living animal would then die because the sin was transferred from the person onto the animal and then that animal was killed. Well, that's not what Paul is saying here today. He's saying that you're not going to be a dead sacrifice. You don't present your body a dead sacrifice, but a living one. And so that's really interesting, new thinking in the sense that we are giving our bodies unto the Lord, but as a continual sacrifice, constantly sacrificing because of what he has done. Um, why is this reasonable? 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you were bought with a price, or bought at a price. Therefore glorifying God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. Once a person trusts the Lord for salvation, we've accepted the free gift, the days of living for self should be over. We've given ourselves to God. That's why we say, I give ourselves. We sing about it. We, we pray about it. Lord, I'm yours. Do what you want with me. But that's a little more difficult than just saying it, isn't it? But Paul's really kind of encouraging us that to reason through this, why we serve others and why we do what we do is because of what he has done for us. And when we sit there and kind of rationalize 
and throw our arms up. This is just, this is a Clint Eastwood movie. This is too, this is the good, the bad, and the ugly. If we just sit down and reason with ourselves a little bit, we would come to this conclusion that Paul's trying to encourage the Romans here to do, and that is to give your body as a living, continual sacrifice. Also, our bodies should be holy. Uh, our service should be holy. Uh, that word holy there is not like perfectly... Uh, we speak as God is holy, but he is perfect. He is sinless. We know that. But holy, the word holy really means to be separate. So when we say God is holy, the reason he is holy is he's separate from us and he's not like us. Uh, we are sinful creatures and we sin, we make mistakes, we're disobedient, we sin against God. So we are not holy. But when you come to know Jesus, he gives you the power to do that. The, knowing that your sins have been forgiven and you can walk and move on in newness of life, our future actions should be holy or separate. We should set our actions aside, our lives, our bodies, for God's holy purposes. Then he also says that our living should be pleasing to him. And uh, not pleasing to who? Us. He says we, our motives and our actions should be pleasing and holy to God. This is Paul's encouragement. And as we venture out and try to serve others and help others and do the things that God would want us to do, he's asking us to remember these things. So based on the truth of the Bible, we can reason why we should serve each uh, other people. Uh, not only is serving others the most reasonable thing we should do based on what he's done for us, but it also has eternal impact. Paul's always serving others, and he saw this was his obligation. Paul saw that um, he was obligated to God for all that he had done for him. But he also saw this eternal importance. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11 says this, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. I want to concentrate on the first part of that verse. Believers understand the terror of the Lord. And you go, wow, what is the terror of the Lord? This is the reverential respect that we have for God and his wrath. See, believers know this. They know that God is angry at our sin. We know this. It's the reason we were left with no choice to come to him humbly and ask for forgiveness. Without his forgiveness, we, suffer, we would suffer eternal wrath, God's eternal wrath in a place called hell. The Bible's really clear about that. So as believers, we understand the terror of the Lord. We know what God has done for us, but then that shifts onto others. So now we begin to be concerned about the terror of the Lord for those that don't know him. And thus Paul says, so then we persuade men. We persuade mankind. We persuade men and women both. Persuade them to do what? Glad you guys asked. 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then, 
Paul speaking of all believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Serving others gives us the opportunity to be an ambassador. When we go out into our communities, when we serve next side, right beside other people that may not know him, that may know him, we encourage um, people in Christ. But also, like an ambassador, um, we are there when we serve. Um, ambassadors are those who represent from afar, right? Like we have ambassadors uh, for the United States and other countries, and they live there. And they are basically um, projecting the thoughts and the ideas of the United States and other countries. So they are an ambassador from afar. And that's the way we are. God is in heaven, and we are here, and we're ambassadors, and we are to carry out his will here and making sure that everybody knows this. Paul sees every believing person as a, an ambassador, imploring others to be reconciled to God. So why serve others? Why? why? In light of what God has done for us, it's the most responsible thing we could do, right? It's the most reasonable thing we could do. And because our service to others can have an eternal impact. So many times when, um, I, I know you guys get this, but when you're in your workplace and you're out there and you're doing the things, then the, the Spirit of God will tell you in a little small voice that you got to say something about him. That you got to let this person, these people know who he is and what he uh, can do for them. And that's what it means to be an ambassador. You start being an ambassador by the way you serve them, by the way you take care of them, by the way you speak to them, how you act, all these things. But then eventually you get to the point where you get to speak and the Lord says, speak. And then what are you doing? You're imploring them. You're imploring them to be reconciled unto God because, like Paul says, he persuades Ben to be reconciled back to God because of God's uh, eternal wrath. And the other thing that we are to serve differently than the world when we're doing these things as we go out into our communities and such. Romans, the second verse of uh, chapter 12 says this, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. As a church, we should not serve others the same way the world does. Now, when I use the term world, I'll use it the very much same way that our Bible does. It just is those that do not um, know God. In a sense, um, the world is who we are trying to reach, right, as ambassadors. We're just trying to reach those that don't know Jesus because... We know of God's wrath. We know of the good that he has done for us. We know of, about forgiveness of sin and want that for others. So as the world, we should not be conformed to the same ways of the world, but be transformed. We are to think different. We are to act different. Uh, we even should have different motives as we are out serving the world. 
the world serves to benefit itself. And this is, they really can't help this. If you were in the world at one time, in other words, you, were, you spent a, a portion of your life apart from God, you know how to do this. Uh, we know we're real good at just taking care of self, aren't we? And it even takes some time as a believer to get this worked out of us, that we oftentimes find ourselves falling back into self-serving tasks and self-serving things. But that's not what God has called us to do. We are to be transformed. We're supposed to have a, a completely new thinking. Luke tells us that Jesus' disciples had not learned this lesson quite yet. Uh, shortly after uh, Jesus explains that he'd soon be betrayed, you know, this is at the, the Last Supper. He, he knows who his betrayer is. He knows Satan's about ready to come into Judas. Um, they break bread together, and after the meal, they begin to fight over who's the greatest in, after Jesus is leaving. Isn't that just like us as a people? You know, here it is, Jesus is going to suffer for the entire sins of mankind, past, present, and future sins, and all they can think about, okay, who's going to be the greatest when he leaves? Is it me? Is it you? That's us as people, right? That's us. So Jesus takes this moment to teach. Jesus is always the teacher, isn't he? Always teaching, right to his death. And he said to them in Luke 22, 25, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. The kings Jesus is speaking about is the kings of the world that do not know God. We know this. The leaders, the authority figures. These men are who uh, exercise lordship and authority over the people for a title. It's kind of ironic, that word benefactor. Actually, that was a title given to people, still this day to a little bit, that if you're a benefactor, you're there to benefit someone else. And you've been given some kind of authority. Maybe that's over a document, a legal document or something is kind of how we use it today. But in this day, there were actual leaders in the community that Romans made benefactors over people for their good. But it isn't how it all worked out. Actually, benefactor got to be a dirty word after a while. Because these guys were not out for the good of the people. They were only used it to get title and prominence in the community and to get higher on the food chain and not really take care of people. So they were only in it for the title, not to benefit others, but to benefit themselves. So Jesus says, this is not to be so among you. So as we venture out into our communities and as we serve each other even within the church, we're not to do it for the title. We're not to do it to get higher on the food chain. Uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be. The believer serves to benefit others. That's what Jesus is teaching us here. The older is to serve the younger. And I like this. 
because age does not place someone over another, but under another as an example. And so a good leader, even though they're older, will take the younger and place themselves in a place of servitude to the younger, as opposed to maybe the world says, no, I'm the elder statesman here. You need to bow down to me. You need to take care of me. You need, that's not what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching the opposite of that. The master is willing to serve the servant. His position does not disqualify him from service to another. So just because we may be a boss or we uh, have authority over someone, this does not discount, as Jesus says, to serving the other person. We don't put ourselves on a place that is above serving the servant. I love Jesus' teaching. Uh, he, Jesus certainly qualified as the greater in the room, didn't he? He certainly was. They all called him master. They all called him teacher and Lord. Yet what we see is that he's not seated at the table. He's actually serving others. And so he reminds them and everyone around him that he was the one serving the disciples, not the other way around. The church is to serve differently than the world. We are to act different, think different, of course, right? We have different motives. We should never be interested in being great or holding a title in any way. Our service to others is for their benefit and not for ours. We are to serve with humility. Let's go to verse 3 of Romans in chapter 12. Uh, I love this section. If there was, I keep telling you this every week. If there's ever a verse you want to memorize, <laughs> this section of Romans is awesome. It tells us how to handle authority and how we should act as Christians. And it's just so good. And that's why we're reviewing it today. Romans 12.3 says, For I say... Through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Uh, there's nothing worse than encountering someone who has forgotten that they are in need of grace too. Um, I'm sure you've run across good, good people, Christians, non-Christians, uh, just somehow that's kind of slipped their mind that we've needed or they or we've needed grace just as much as the person that we're trying to serve, right? And we can get in that bad place in our lives where we just, re we completely forgot that uh, we needed God's grace. Paul understood the grace given to him and, and it shaped the way that he served others each and every day. He didn't think more highly of himself than he should. It was God's grace that had brought him this far. Remember, Paul was a persecutor of the Christians at one time. He spoke bad of them. He threw, had them thrown in jail. He would go to the Roman authority and get the needed paperwork to throw them in jail and persecute them and even have them killed. Talk about needing some grace, right? But yet Paul is always in a position that he's always remembering that day when he didn't obey God and when he didn't live for God. And he has to take himself back in his thinking to remember that. And we should do the same. God has given us grace in spite of our sins. And it's God's grace that would see us and people like Paul to the end. 
The special gifting that uh, God had given Paul was not a license for Paul to think of himself better than anyone else. Uh, we can get that way as Christians sometimes. You know, we've learned a little bit about our Bible and we've got some, uh, uh, some key things of the faith down and all of a sudden, we're somebody in the church, you know. And Paul's teaching this now. That's not to be so. If there was anybody that could brag about being awesome leader in the church, it would have been Paul. And he always had to remind himself of the grace of God and why, where he used to be and where he is now. Paul encourages us to do the same, to think soberly. In other words, if we've forgotten grace that has been given to us and we think we're somebody, then we're not behaving soberly. We're not thinking rationally. That it, that even we use the word sober today as a thing uh, meaning, you know, pulled away from something that was harming us, or especially alcohol, when we say we're sober. Well, we need to be sober in our thinking. We need to be sober in our haughtiness. We need to be humble. We're not to be thinking uh, too much of ourselves. We're not to be thinking that we're somebody. Everyone that serves another is to remind themselves that God has dealt each of us, each of us a measure of faith. So my faith may be different than your faith, and your faith may be different than yours. We all have a measure of faith that God has de dealt out to us. And so we don't use that against each other, but we use it for each other, and we use it with humility. Just because God has taught you something that he hasn't necessarily taught the person sitting next to you, we don't use that against them or make ourselves haughty or, or stand up in the crowd. That's not what um, Paul is trying, uh, is, that's not what Paul wants us to do. That's not what God would want us to do. Why? Well, this is how Jesus served. We always use him as the example, don't we? Matthew 20, 28. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Um, this, is one, this one verse really for me summarizes why Jesus came. He did not come to be served. That wasn't, he didn't come to be king, didn't come to, even though he was. He didn't come to get all the accolades, although he's worthy, but he came to serve. And he did this by giving his life a ransom for many. Jesus is our example. So we're to serve by example as well. So we see the example of Jesus, and we, that's how we should serve. Uh, on the night of the Passover, that very same night of his betrayal, the, kings, the King of Kings and the, the Lord of Lords does something really unthinkable to me. He does, an, I don't know how I would have reacted. Of course, that I'd never be in the position. But Jesus is about to die. And nobody's getting it at the table. He does something to teach them what it means to live in the kingdom of God. He submits to the role of a servant and washes the feet of those who should have been washing his. Let's pick up this story in John 13, verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, 
and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Do you know that the highest rank in the kingdom of God is servant? It's the highest rank. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, Jesus, definitely king of kings, Lord of lords, was a servant. So completely upside down the kingdom of God is from the world, isn't it? In the world, the king of kings would have been way up here, bringing all the glory to himself. Not Jesus. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, the highest rank is that of servant. Jesus uh, said that he did this as, as an example to others. Um, with all humility, I'm going to show you a couple of things. Uh, in April of 22, a couple of brothers in the Lord and I were able to visit India. And uh, we're some real, I've come to love these people and they're friends of mine. They had one of the guys here in the States with us. But we had a chance to visit them, and this is just coming off of COVID time, lockdowns and all this craziness. You couldn't travel to countries and all this kind of stuff. So the government opened up the boundaries to uh, fly back into India. So me and two other guys, like, we were like, ooh, ooh, let's go. And so we got on a plane, we went and took uh, and wanted to encourage our brothers and sisters in India. India had lost at this time massive amounts of people. Uh, they buried a lot of their loved ones because not privy to a lot of the things we have here, COVID took a lot of the lives of um, the Indian people. Tightly packed, dense country. So we wanted to go there and encourage them. But it's really kind of strange. Uh, I'll show you the first picture, if you'd put that up there, Ken. This is just at the dinner table. We lived in this upper flat of a house, and they kept bringing food three times a day, way more than we could eat. And there was a whole entire family that had vacated this upper level of the house where the other half of the family lived downstairs. They all cramped into their downstairs to live while we were there for our 10 days or so. It was almost embarrassing how much they took care of us when we were there. We go, no, 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 we're here to serve you. And they just kept, they wouldn't eat in, unless there was some left over. Uh, they, the ladies cooked all day long just so that we could have three squares. Well, they never have three square meals a day on a normal basis. They never had the monies to do this, but they all pooled everything together, all their resources to take care of us while we're there. Uh, picture number two, our trip included some time in the villages. This is where we spent quite a bit of time when we went out. These are little uh, small villages out in the jungle of India. 
Um, pretty interesting area. I mean, the only way you can get there is by motorcycle, and we did that. We, uh, that was a, one of the funnest parts of the trips for me, but <laughs> that was a blast. We, we just had these little, like, Honda uh, 80s is basically what they were, Honda 100s, and we'd jump on these little motorcycles, and we'd peel through the jungle. And it was awesome. These guys are amazing. They got these little jung jungle churches that are out there that remember the Hindus. Hindu um, are very strong in uh, India, meaning the Hindu religion. It is a part of life. It's how they grow up. And very much like a Muslim community, no intruders are allowed in. But yet Jesus is doing some amazing work here in India because there are people coming to Christ. And they're coming to Christ in these little huts and these little villages and these little spotty communities all over the place. And even though it seems like they're just um, one, maybe two little communities once in a while, there was actually 30 pastors that we visited and ministered to along the way that would uh, go out into these jungle areas and take care of these families. So picture number three will show you some of those pastors. Uh, these are the men, faithful men. These guys are living out the book of Acts. They are being persecuted, beaten, and families taken from them sometimes, uh, excommunicated from their families because of their faith in Jesus. So we went there to try to encourage them and be, just try to lift them up after COVID and all the stuff that was going on. And another thing that's interesting about these gentlemen is that this sect of, or this caste of India is what they call the untouchables. So if you know anything about India, that you are caste, you were born into a caste. So you're either born into the top or somewhere in between that and the bottom. These guys are called the untouchables. They're branded by the rest of the Hindu population. So the rest of the Hindu population doesn't even want anything to do with them. So here we go. We're out there trying to encourage them, and they were doing nothing but encouraging us. We would preach in their little huts and, and get them in gatherings, and it was just so much fun trying to be an encouragement. They loved the Word of God, and they were just clinging to every word that you would say, and it was just so good. But so how do you shift this around as we, uh, the three of us were thinking? We couldn't figure out a way that we could somehow get this. No, we're here to serve you and you're serving us. They're living the Bible like to the T, you know. And so picture number um, four um, shows what we did. So we took a little bit of time, got all these pastors and some of their wives into a room, we're all literally packed in here, and we began to get basins of water and wash their feet. And we were doing this with the example that Jesus had given to us. And we wanted to let them know, even though they have this belief and this that's been ingrained in them that they're the lowest of the lowest, it's the place to be. That's the way the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God serves one another. And so we spent the time uh, through many tears and um, many, oh man, many times of praying through this 
couple hours that we spent with these guys washing their feet. But here's the thing, they just, they couldn't stop. <laughs> they, they insisted that they do the same to us. And so we, we, fl we flipped, we flipped. But isn't it a picture of the kingdom, guys? Yeah, I wanted to show you this with all humility. This isn't making us sound great or do anything fabulous. This is what the kingdom of God is. This is not being here. It's being here and serving each other. And that's what our topic is today. And so what God did, I want to show you uh, another picture, picture number five. God did something amazing. He got, all we did is started getting the word that we were there. And people started coming out of the jungles and everywhere. There, we had three nights of over a thousand people come and hear about the word of God and how good God is. Now remember, we're in a multi-God culture at this time. But they heard the gospel. They heard what it takes to save mankind and give mankind forgiveness of sin. And it was an amazing thing. So I believe that God just rewarded our serving them and them serving us. And then God showed up through his spirit. And it was a pretty amazing time. Uh, we had to do this at night. We were police. There were police standing outside of that little wall there with their machine guns and everything. Because that's not allowed without a permit. So we got a permit to do this. But then they even still tried to extort money from us and things of that nature just to be able to give the gospel. But each night, we ended the night with picture number six, if I could, Ken. We served them food. So we fed a thousand people plus each night. And it was really just rice and curry and uh, 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 a little bit of beans and some vegetables and stuff. But man, what a blast. And these people were so now remember the, the mindset is that they're the lowest of the lowest in the world that's what they've been taught and we're inviting them into the kingdom of God and it's like they they got the best seats in the house because that's what we're taught to be we're taught to serve so we just had a great 10 days of serving one another and I just really wanted to show you that so that's good, Ken. Thanks for the pictures. If you're not convinced yet that we should be a church that serves others, Matthew records Jesus' words once again. When we serve others, we serve him. Matthew 25, 35. Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison or come to you? And the king, uh, and the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. When we serve others, we serve our king. And that's the message that is in this. Uh, even though this is 
talking about a uh, time of tribulation and uh, Jesus' second coming and Jesus is going to reward those that took care of people during the time of tribulation and they're going to be they're going to be confused when did we take care of you Jesus it's like you just got here he says well when you served the least of these you served me Jesus speaks of course um, to a time that is not to be foreign to us today even though this time speaks of the coming tribulation and time of Jesus' second coming, as we serve people today, it's just like we serve him. And that's what he's trying to teach us. So as we wrap things up, I'll have Dave kind of come up here and finish things off with us today. But the question, why do we serve others? Remember the Clint Eastwood example, of course, if you've been involved in serving others, yeah, there's some good, there's some bad, and there's some ugly. So why keep going? We serve others because it is our reasonable service. We reason with ourselves based on what Jesus has done for us. So we keep going. We serve them even though there is good in the bad and the ugly. We serve others because it's eternal work. Who knows, uh, as you serve um, a hot dog at a concession stand or you take care of someone um, in a, um, a home or you do something at a holiday event in your own family and you take care of them, who knows what the opportunity you'll get to, to talk to them about eternal life. We serve others because we are serving him. And if that doesn't put a smile on your face, knowing that he allows us to serve him in light of everything he does, has done for us, I don't know what will. This is what it looks like to live and to serve in the kingdom of God when we serve others and not ourselves. So I'm going to do what I do every single week. Recently, I'm going to give you a time to kind of think through some things. Maybe there's something the Lord said to you in a way that is real, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk to him about that. Don't feel bad if you've gotten the, to the good and the bad and the ugly and you just give up, because I've been there many times in my life. But may today be an encouragement that even though it's hard serving others and it's rough and you're not going to get treated well, it's the most reasonable thing that you and I could do as Christians. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian at all. You've never given your, your life to the Lord. Uh, I'll encourage you, I'll implore you to do that as well. Uh, knowing... The, the wrath of God now that I've read through it and I know what is coming for all those who that believe and all those who don't believe I would implore you I would persuade you to come to the Lord and reconcile with him and the only sometimes people think that's a real difficult thing to kind of make amends with God but it really isn't it's really just talking to him and realizing humbling yourself before him and saying Lord you are God and I am not. I, I realize you're holy and I am not. 
and just asking him to forgive you of sin that you've committed. All of us have because the Bible says we've all come short of God's glory. So each and every one of us are in that category. But if you come to him and just ask him to forgive you and ask him to be the Lord of your life, it's an amazing thing. He will do it. He will forgive you of your sin and you then can begin to get the benefits of the kingdom. It'll change your mindset. It'll, it'll make you think different, act different. It's an amazing thing. And you say, how do you know all this stuff, John? Well, it happened to me. I lived there a long time in the world doing my own thing. And then somebody gave me the gospel, the good news that Jesus died was buried and rose again for me for the forgiveness of sin. So if that's you, you can pray to him. Just take this time to do whatever you think you need to do, but speak to God, please, and I'll come back and dismiss our gathering. Father, we just thank you for your grace that's allowed us to come into your kingdom. We didn't have to die. We didn't have to pay the penalty. We just had to come to you in faith, and we thank you for that. Lord, it's just an amazing thing to serve you. There's no other thing better on this planet or the t even the life to come than serving you based on what you've done for us. So Lord, I just ask that you would bless each person here today, that they would realize that, they would see that, and they would, next time uh, they enter into serving someone and if it gets bad and it gets ugly, they just remember how much you've done. Thank you for blessing our time here today and teaching us, Lord. May we go out today serving others just in the same way that you serve us. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, as we do every week, go out, serve somebody. Tell somebody about Jesus, eh? Have a good week.